Welcome back to This Film Not Rated, a branch of the Music City Drive-In Podcast Network, where we try to not rate what we watched this week while talking full spoilers. Uh, we're going to be making some changes to the show soon, hoping to make it work the best we can for an audience, but we're sticking with this for now. Uh, there's a bit of a competition here where we try to not earn points, and at the end of the season, the person with the fewest points wins. We're mostly saving that for the gauntlet now, at the end of every episode. But the real reason we're here... Eric, what did you watch this week? An exhausting amount of movies. But there are only two I really, really want to talk about this week, which is Villains in 2019, starring Bill Skarsgård and Maika Monroe. Okay. I don't know if that's how you actually say her name, but she was in It Follows. And uh, the Peanut Butter Falcon, starring Shia LaBeouf and other people. Um, well, uh, this week I watched uh, In the Heat of the Night, starring um, Sidney Poitier and uh, Rob Schneider. Sorry, Rod Schneider. Big difference. <laughs> Real big. Di- and then an uh, Afterlife. I cannot remember the director's name yet. It's, it's a Japanese film. Came out in nineteen eighty nineteen ninety eight. So. Well, you want to talk about In the Heat of the Night? Uh, I definitely want to talk about it In the Heat of the Night. Let's start with that. Why'd you want to talk about In the Heat of the Night? Well, uh, Sidney uh, Poitier uh, just recently passed away this past Friday at the time of, of recording this. And, mm-hmm. Rest uh, in peace. Mm-hmm. It's uh, the only movie I have that he's in, and uh, one of his most iconic films, to my knowledge, so I figured it was about time to, to get around to watching it, and it's... It's it's kind of what what I expected. It's it, it's it's a police procedural based around the uh, frame of uh, social change and 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 American views on black people at the time, at least outside of uh, major cities up north. To the point, while filming this movie, they actually wanted to film on 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 location, but uh, uh, Sydney refused to go anywhere south of the Mason Dixon line because it was that dangerous to shoot mm. in in the south for for a black man at that time. What year? Uh, it's 1967. Yeah, I was just starting to watch a, a documentary called The Summer of Soul. Mm. Did you know that there was a Woodstock equivalent celebrating uh, black music and and things like that? Like, that took place the same time? I remember hearing about it, but it's, it's not something that gets a lot of the recognition. Doc- yeah. The documentary's full title is Summer of Soul or When They Refused to Televise the Revolution. Mm. And it's all about how music became a movement that swept culture and changed things on the tail end of the 60s leading into the 70s. And Mm. I'd be very curious about, with this being a movie being made in the middle of all that, if it's being made tackling all of that. It's it's, it's strange that that, that you bring up the music aspect, because apparently, like, I I, I went through the special features a bit, and apparently the uh, score for this movie is 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 a bit groundbreaking in in its own rights where it it, it doesn't have a traditional like hollywood score it it takes in, influence from uh, southern blues and jazz and, and incorporates that into the uh, score and theming of the actual nice. film something that i'm used to nowadays so i didn't pick up on it at at all when when watching film it's it's, it's only when it was pointed out to me that i even realized what was going on so yeah mm-hmm. Uh, Sidney Poitier's uh, performance was uh, definitely a, a, a standout for me. Uh, like the way that the character is p- portrayed is not typical of the way that you would have a black man portrayed at the time, where you you have him butting heads with with a lot of white cops who who are in authority positions. He bluntly slaps a a, a white suspect that slaps him first, and the studio was 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 
kind of queasy about putting that in, in into the movie, but that's another thing that uh, Sidney would have re- re- refused to do the role if he couldn't do that because mm-hmm. it, it for him it, it it wasn't actually a, a a racial thing; it was a human thing. Is I would actually do do this if it happened to me in real life. So if I can't show show that on film, I I refuse to do the role. Uh, that was the kind of thing I I um I watched Ma Rainey's Black Bottom recently. Mm. And this is much different. This is like the this is a movie about a real lady who may or may not be considered the like mother of the blues. Mm-hmm. And it's just that at the point of disintegration of segregation attitude of we still exist and mm-hmm. we still believe we're better than you. Mm-hmm. There's these figures who stood up and said, I'm going to demand as much respect as I deserve and as anyone would give to anyone in authority figure who is not my skin color. Yeah. And Ma Rainey probably shares that with that. I haven't watched In the Heat of the Night, yeah. and I'd be really excited to. Yeah. I want to know the context of yeah. the Mr. Tibbs moment. You know, we talked about Treasure of Sierra Madre. We poked at, we don't need no sinking badges, and how that gets filtered and flittered away yeah. at. But then we talked about the deer hunter, too, mm. and about how the Russian roulette scenes, they all get talked about to the point that they lose their context. Oh, okay. So okay. I want to know. It, it, it works in context for the scene, and, and, and it works on a social level. Uh, uh, cool. uh, as well so for the mr tibbs line uh after he's just pr- proven his innocence because at, at the beginning of the movie his character is, is uh stereotyped and, and falsely arrested for for the murder after a while you know he he starts to help out they find another suspect and he re- he quickly realizes that it couldn't be him because uh the killer's right 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 handed and, and the person that they brought brought, brought in is left-handed so he starts to go into why he thinks he's innocent, and then it gets to a um, a, a racial aspect. Uh, I'm not going to say the words. It's like a N-word boy. What do they call you up, up there? They call me Mr. Tibbs. Well, Mr. Tibbs. And it goes on uh, like that. That is so much different. That is... See? <sighs> they call me by my name. Essentially. Yeah. It's... Uh, yeah. Yeah. But, and, and then they, they, they do a bit of like like... I don't want to call it backstepping, but showing the other foot as well, where uh, Mr. Tibbs, at, at uh, around the middle of the movie, has his eyes on this one overtly racist uh, cotton farmer who still has, uh, you know, black, black, black people picking cotton on his plantation in 1967, who has a black butler. It's all the evidence is pointing to him and Tibbs is motivated to pin it on 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 him but he's also blinded by his own prejudice at mm. at, at that point trying to pin the the, the crime on, on this guy because he wants to tear down the rich white guy and in the so end he's like questioning his own like am i also yes just okay it's him real realizing his 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 own misgivings while uh seeing the world as he can only see it that's the um that's the camel whose back i think broke uh in 2019 the uh, the burden of the oppressed to be perfect, to shake, to work on shaking the prejudices of the oppressors, is is a legacy not just for people who are black, but for uh, homosexuals mm. uh, through the eighties and nineties with the AIDS scare and through so many different ones, like like so many different subgroups of people. Where the idea is, everyone always thinks that, oh, the ones they get to know personally, oh, those are quote-unquote good ones. Hmm. And it's it's interesting that in, in the 60s you have a guy who's, who's like, I've suffered 
judgments and prejudice and all of these things. And it becomes so important for a character like that to question their own prejudice. Because if they fall victim to prejudice and what they accuse other people of doing, their credibility is swept and they fall victim to a system that favored people who aren't them. Yeah. I think in 2019, it was just one life too many and that camel's back broke and people were like, screw it. Uh, Rod Schneider's character who... Uh, it, I'm, I'm not going to unsee Rob Schneider's face until I, I watch it, the movie. It, 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 it's, it's really weird, but uh, in a weird way, he's kind of... Like like trapped in in the social expectations of the of of the town he's in, but also doesn't follow those uh, those uh, views to a T. Like sure, when Sidney Poitier's character Mister Tibbs was was brought in, stereotyped him at first, but the second he found out that that he was a cop, he was pissed off at the officer for bringing in a cop that he thought was a murderer. Now those as the movie go goes on, you you quickly learn how much of an outsider he is within the community himself, because his, his views differ ever so slightly to everyone else's, which is another thing that I, I think is happening nowadays, where you're only a part of a group as long as you follow A, B, C, D thought processes. And as, as soon as you differ on one of those thought processes, you're out of the group and, and you have to form your own new one. So it sounds like a super awesome, fun-filled, lighthearted romp. And... <laughs> Well, is well, it is it fed a lot? You think by the reality of the subject matter they're dealing with at the time? Yes, it, it like like it, it it specifically frames the subject matter within the time that that it is filmed, and that's a a well, good yeah, reason to go so back. That's to what I'm saying. It. Like it's 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 easy for everyone to suddenly become somewhat like a method actor because they're all really living with these issues surrounding them every day. Like yes, yeah, and and the the fact that it's a police procedural, which is something that I like to go back to. Yeah. for everything. It doesn't hurt. I I watched a thriller mm. that involved a police officer that involved a black police officer. And this movie has nothing to do with any of that. It's called Villains. Mm-hmm. Uh, Bill Skarsgård, you know, played Pennywise in the newer It. Yep. And uh, Micah Monroe, she... I don't know why she's not more famous. She was in It Follows... She's in she's in The Guest. She's in Independence Day Resurgence, so I guess you got to be in some big blockbuster thing. Mm-hmm. But she's in this movie, Villains. They, her and Bill Skarsgård, uh they're just they're just on the run criminals. Mm-hmm. It opens with them wearing masks robbing a uh, convenience store and 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 running down the road thinking of what they're going to do next, excited mm-hmm. to be living on the road with one another like hot young lovers or whatever and their car breaks down. And they're on the side of the road. And they take care of each other. And that's an interesting thing is the the characters really do take care of each other. They Mm -hmm. calm one another down. They talk each other through things. They follow through on their promises to one another. And it's I'm not going to go into every detail about how all that works. But the relationship feels real Mm -hmm. for such heightened, insane people. And they realize that there's a house nearby. And they go to the house. And they're excited because the house looks currently vacant. Mm -hmm. So they break in. Go to resupply things. They realize there's a car in the garage. They can suck out some gas, get some gas in their car, and make their way down to the next gas station. Boom, boom, boom. They're back on the trail, and they're they're headed off on their plan. And then they go down in the basement, where there's a girl chained to the wall. I'm getting flashbacks to Don't Breathe right now. You are. You would be getting... Imagine if Don't Breathe was a dark comedy. This is a couple, mm-hmm. played by Kira Sedgwick, the closer... And uh, Jeffrey Donovan, 
And, um, you know, he speaks like a gentleman of the South who, you know, whatever. But, they're I mean, they're murderers. They give you teases really on that they're murderers. Mm. And you don't really know the real relationship with this little girl. There is a speech they give that sort of clears it up. But, so what you're dealing with is two criminals who don't want police around dealing with two murderers who don't want police around. Mm Mm-hmm. Either one can cause problems for the other. Having to clean up the body. Like, if they go, they could bring police. But these people don't want police involvement. So, there's, like, this slight possibility at the beginning. Like, if you don't want to engage with us, you can ignore the girl downstairs. You can take these keys. And you can go. We won't call the police until much later. You'll have a good head start. But... Them being mm. the characters who went out in the save the cat moment are the ones who are obviously not going to let the girl go. Yeah. And so you have your protagonists. Right. Because there's just this little, this moral edge and they're not psychotic, you know? <laughs> but the performances are so taken so seriously. The only one that doesn't really work for me is Jeffrey Donovan, the guy who's like being the Southern gentleman or whatever. I think you just, he's just, he's just your typical manipulative douchey white male like freak. Mm. And you don't get to see him do a lot. Like you see something like funny games, right? Imagine the characters from funny games. Mm -hmm. If you only got like hints from pictures and then they hold a gun on the family and you know that they'll shoot someone. And that was really it. So it's kind of like underwhelming yeah. compared to other similar psychopathic characters. Mm-hmm. But Kira Sedgwick is awesome. And the way that she treats like, you know, her baby and her children and what her kind of psychosis is and how that serves the other characters. Mm-hmm. But the fun thing is really just watching these two characters played by Bill Skarsgård and Micah Monroe take the situation seriously, but also take being their character seriously. Mm-hmm. They're not serious people. So they're being sincere, but the mood is never too dark or too dour or too sad. It's always some form of twisted excitement. Like, what are you going to do? Like, this guy's like, I know I learned how to to read men as a salesman. And so I can tell you, I know that y'all are on the lam and I know that you need your way to go. And I'm going to make a sales pitch. You, you go and I'll call the cops later. And Bill's card's like, okay, you know what, though? That's pretty awesome, and I think one day I can practice this and I might be able to get good at it too. Let me give it a shot. <laughs> you don't want police coming by. Like, and he, he, he gives this breakdown, and like, he, they're, they're just quick thinking on their feet enough to pull mm. things off. Okay. Like, um, they need to unlock a pair of handcuffs. Mm. The only thing they can find in the room that can lock a pair of handcuffs is the tongue pier thing in Micah Monroe's tongue. And she can't muscle it up and get work her mouth to get, like, the tongue piercing out of her tongue. So she has to rip it out? She can't. You, it, it, She doesn't have the constitution of the muscle mm. to, like, pull that out either. So they twist around, and he gets it with his teeth, and he has to pull it out. <sighs> and then he has to work his way around and let her out, and she's like, you owe me for this. And that's one of those things that it, like, pays off, that you see him go through something for her, too. And it's, that's the way the characters earn their relationships mm. just makes this like so much fun. And it's on Hulu and I recommend anyone go watch it because I think the directors should have chances to do more things with their work. And I think all of these actors, like Bill Skarsgård, I saw in like two seasons of Hemlock Grove. Mm-hmm. I was not impressed with Hemlock Grove or him or, or much things in that show. Okay. Here, I've seen him now act outside of being Pennywise and he's great. All right. Like and 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 Michael Monroe's fantastic. And the only only issue I have is really 
with the choices they make on how things are going to end. Mm-hmm. Because life is really messier than than the way it ends. And that's all I'm going to say. Because it is full spoilers. But, you know, basically these characters have like a happy... Certain characters have a happy ending. Right. And it's like, really? Because you, you started this whole thing of these characters are in survival mode. And then you meet these other characters who are in comfortable psychopath mode. Mm-hmm. And, and the characters that live on have to live in survival mode. But they treat that like a happily ever after. But they're also using, like, a stylistically created old footage-looking filter yeah. to make it seem like that might just be a fantasy. So it's kind of like, don't think about it, but their life is going to suck. It could be what they're trying to say with the ending, but it's not clear enough. And so it's just the ending is a little bungled and wonky, but... Okay. Just a lot of fun with those characters and actors. And I would I would go back and watch this because this, to me, feels like the kind of movie... That if I got it just because I was interested in the actors and brought it home as a rental mm-hmm. for my friends to hang out and watch it, yeah, we would all squirm in our seats and talk to each other and go oh snap and then talk about it for like twenty minutes afterwards how much we liked all of this and like I'm saving it after this year's like thing I'm saving this for like a movie night to watch with people. So my first one was about social commentary. This next one, uh, Afterlife. In the best way that I can describe is almost about nostalgia, I think. Because, like, the idea of Afterlife is is you've just died and now you're in a place where you have to pick the happiest memory of your life for the people working to recreate on film. And that's the only memory that you get to take to the afterlife. And you're reliving that happy memory over and over for eternity. And as I'm watching it, I'm, I'm, I'm getting... What I think is maybe some commentary on on filmmaking itself. Mm. Because while they're discussing what the happy moments that they want to relive are, I'm I'm getting the sense that it feels like a pitch meeting. Like, what do you want it to look like? What are the key factors that you're focusing on? What, What are the feelings? Then you have the idea of nostalgia, where the people themselves are just looking back on their lives. And as I mentioned, like they're putting certain emphasis on certain things, and maybe they can't remember everything just right, and they can't get every detail down, but that's not the important part. The important part is is the feeling that that moment brings out. Hmm. And it, it's kind of encapsulated in this one line that is said. You have this, this uh, new worker there who's been there for about a year and is kind of learning the ropes she's upset for some reason i can't remember exactly but one of the older co-workers comes in and they they have this metaphor of the moon where the, the moon's an interesting thing it always maintains the same shape but depending on the lighting it can change and that's kind of like the whole theme of the entire movie Mm-hmm. that's hooked me i want to see that yeah the thing that brought me to it the first time was the idea of, of, of making a movie out of your happiest moment. And then the theming and the imagery is what kind of hooked me in and the thing that would kind of like bring me back to it. And there are other character moments in, in there that are very uh, story specific. Everyone who works there is someone who couldn't decide on what they wanted their memory to be. So they just stayed there and now they're helping others move on. So the actual... Oh, overarching story is you have this person who's been there for for 50 years and after having an, an interaction with an old man who was part of his generation finally decides on a memory and moves on leaving the new person that that's grown attached to him there behind oh, interesting yeah it's it's hard to talk about this after one viewing because i, I just feel like there's so much more to discuss with it and i, I, I would definitely concept. like yeah, I would definitely like 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 to go back and, and revisit it at, at some point for that alone. Mm-hmm.
So the last movie I watched is a Peanut Butter Falcon, and that means that it is time for The Gauntlet. It stars Shia LaBeouf, Zach Kotzigan is the Down Syndrome actor, Dakota Johnson, uh, and then there are appearances from Bruce Dern, Thomas Hayden Church. And this is a movie, mm-hmm. and a long line of, surprise, John Barenthal's in this, movies. <laughs> Anyways, yeah, bring it on. So, All right. Dun, 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 dun. So, so, question one, was The Peanut Butter Falcon a good movie or a bad movie? Peanut Butter Falcon was structured to look and feel like a familiar indie comedy. And I've said this before with movies like The Force Awakens. I feel like it's made intentionally to look like a familiar movie. Mm -hmm. So that what matters is the representation of your key character. So, like, you're going superheroes. An example would be, like, Wonder Woman, where where it's, it's, it's a standard hero origin story, but instead of a male lead, it's a female lead. Right. Okay. So, since that movie worked you now have for because of wonder woman an entire plane of legitimized women superheroes have this platform they didn't have okay and so by doing something that feels familiar they create something new what was your favorite scene in this movie so zach and uh shia labeouf's character uh tyler zach can't swim Mm -hmm. and they need to make it across a river so they put air into his pants, so they give him kind of floating devices and tie a rope around Tyler. Okay. Tyler swims across and takes him with him, but that creates a long distance between the two of them, and a shrimp boat starts to come by. A giant, mm-hmm. wide-netted shrimp boat is barreling up the side of a river that they're trying to cross towards them, and they only have so much before he's either going to get caught in the net, or caught in the motor, or hit by the boat. So Shia LaBeouf has to make it to the other side and rip him across the river in time. What would you remove from this movie? If this movie did not have some of the interactions with the staff of the nursing home that the character Zach breaks out of in the beginning, Mm -hmm. they use these interactions to sort of motivate to go to Johnson's character to make certain decisions. Mm -hmm. Um, At least that's what it appears they're doing. And I just feel like when I buy into an indie movie, I kind of assume that characters are going to make big life decisions and stuff like that. I just feel like I would have believed Dakota Johnson without them having to be like, oh, look how look how callous the world is and how careless these systems are at giving genuine care to these people. You know, it's, it's kind of an it's kind of a familiar statement that's a little bit of an eye roll, but they have just a little bit in there. And I just mm. you don't need it. I don't think. OK, now then what who is the best actor and who is the worst actor? Thomas Hayden Church has to play a character who delivers on the dreams of Zack, the Mm -hmm. the lead character. And so he bears a lot of weight, and I believed everything his character did. He's a retired wrestler, but Zack has been fantasizing about learning to wrestle from him off of watching this video about his wrestling school that's like 20 years old. Okay. And so his school's been closed for 10 years, but... This whole movie is them trudging through mud on their feet trying to get to this guy. And it's like, him having to deliver and carry the weight of that, I think, was 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 a pretty effective thing. Damn it. Alright, well then I'll just tell you that the worst actor... 
I would say the worst actor in the movie would be the guy who has to talk to Dakota Johnson and deliver lines like, don't make me call the state on you. And she's like, you have to call the state. He's a missing person. And he's like, just go find him. And it's like, I don't uh, believe this human being exists. Like, uh, yeah, whatever. Give your favorite quote from... <laughs> so as soon as they get into that river... <laughs> Uh, they're floating, and uh, already uh, Shia LaBeouf, his Tyler, had, has had to rescue Zach in the movie from uh, drowning, almost, because mm-hmm. he can't swim. So he has him in this flotation device, and he starts to swim across the shrimp, and he's like, Tyler, what? Am I going to die? And Tyler says, yeah, that's just a matter of time. What matters is the story they're going to say about you. Dang. And so every time his character continues to deliver on that, it becomes less of a... Of a pretentious uh, indie movie quote, mm-hmm. and more of a this is something valuable to say to somebody like Zach that it was going to hold meaning for him long term. Uh, what is this movie missing? This movie deals with a complicated issue, mm-hmm. and that is treating someone who deserves to be treated the same as everyone else like everyone else. Mm-hmm. And it handles it in the sense of it being inspiring that somebody is willing to do that. It's almost like the movie is saying that on the merits that he's willing to be the guy mm-hmm. that gives Zach that level of care, like, like he, he's a hero for mm. that. Okay. When in reality, the idea is, the whole point you're saying is that that should be the norm, not something special. I can't help but feel like I would like to see in this movie something that would make me feel confident that Zack was going to continue to be allowed to live a life where he both gets what he needs Mm -hmm. based on whatever condition he has and is free to do what he wants. I would like confirmation of both. What did you enjoy from the story? Everything central to the theme of how is someone defined? Are we defined because of the physical conditions we're born under? Are we defined because of the mistakes we make? Are we defined by the area and the culture that we grew up in? Are we defined by the choices that we make after a certain point in our lives? Do we ever lose the definition of everything that came before us just because we start making good decisions? Mm -hmm. Everything in this movie that lays back to that, I enjoyed. Did you learn anything about making movies from watching Peanut Butter Falcon? I've seen a lot of indie movies like this, you Mm -hmm. know, that are just kind of like an inspirational indie people walking and there's like the sky in the background and people smile at each other and become friends and family along the way. Mm Mm-hmm. But I would say that I would watch this movie again if I were working on some kind of story where I need the characters' relationships and things to be built based on balancing montage with fully structured scenes. There are scenes that feel like they're scenes that have a beginning, middle, and end Mm -hmm. that halfway through turn into a sort of montage. Okay. And... You know, this happens in a lot of movies, but this movie manages to strike a balance that is something that I would want to hit similarly if I were making a movie like this. Okay. Of not just like, and then this happened, and then this happened, and then this happened. It's sort of like an important thing happened, and time passed, and then you see 
a slower, more scaled-in version of a montage where time is passing, but they're developing something important, and it's almost like time is stretched and narrowed based on the importance of events. And yeah, yeah. Okay. Well, you kind of uh, answered number nine as well. Well, what would make me watch this again? Um, is I have a different answer for. All right. So and I have to get buzzed for it. All right. <laughs> this movie reawakened something that I have not felt. In a long time, Ooh. the urge to run out into your backyard, if you have one, and run around in the woods. Okay. There there are references that the characters make to Mark Twain, and I think that it's more of a, like a, a superficial comparison to make yeah. uh, for the movie. That's another... <laughs> that's a judgment. <laughs> The bare bones of that is there. Like, what does it? What does it really mean to go on an adventure for yourself? And mm. and like, just just the idea of of just going out and climbing a tree and finding a stick that looks like a gun and something struck that chord. Not in a way that felt nostalgic, but that made me feel like I wanted to go out and play. Okay. Then uh, last question: Would Nicolas Cage have made this movie better? Infinitely. <laughs> Oh, this is a different answer than I was expecting. Instead so. of if instead of an actual character actor with Down syndrome, it had been Nicolas Cage playing a character with Down syndrome, that would obviously be the greatest movie of all time. That would be infamously loved and adored by all, completely. <laughs> um, <laughs> no, no, he's he's an entertainer and a performer. Yeah. And this is a movie for... Even Shia LaBeouf, I think the only real reason that he was able to work instead of stick out in, in a in a more of a movie star way mm-hmm. is because the release of this coincides so closely with Honey Boy mm-hmm. that that's a person that got broken down and humanized in the public eye. Okay. So you get to see, like, a human breaking down another really well-rounded human character... So, like, if you put any other actor even in his role, I don't think it would it would work the same. Okay. This is very appropriately the story of the relationship between Zack and Tyler, Shia LaBeouf and Zack. All right. And Zack Gotzikin, by the way, fantastic job. I feel like it's, you know, it's touchy saying mm-hmm. something about it because it's like, are you saying something about it just because you yourself want to feel good about complimenting someone on doing something or like, you know, like, what do you, what do you have to say? Mm-hmm. I mean, the truth is his character's name is Zach. The mm-hmm. actor's name is Zach. Mm-hmm. It, it's built around him. Okay. But he really does. I don't, I don't know if it's his inherent talent or if he was coached acting through with it by working with Shia LaBeouf and other people on set. Mm-hmm. But like, even though it's not so believable that he lifts someone up over his head and throws them up into the air, like, mm. I don't know. I don't know about some things visually in the movie, but the character is so endearing and he's, he plays it so, um, so straight. Okay. There is no scene in there where he's teared up and crying because the trials that people are putting in his way because he has Down syndrome are too hard. There are real scenes of self-defeat where he says he's just not strong enough to do things like other people are. And he's just not built to do things that other people are able to do. And those are some of the best scenes in the movie. When Shia LaBeouf has to prove to him that the reason he can't swim is because he's all muscle. Muscle sinks. Mm -hmm. But because you're all muscle, you're strong. 
Right. So look at what you can do. And that's the reason his character agrees to start help training him, even though he doesn't know what he's doing, to start wrestling. Okay. And and he's scared. And when he's scared, all he does is honestly say, I'm scared. It works at its core, and that's so much stronger than building something that works off of, like, having... Oh, well, the writing is good, and that carries the whole movie. Or the the central idea is good, and that carries the whole movie. Okay. Something about a little bit of everything makes, like, the core relationship... And the core story about Zack and that person work. And so everything else kind of like, to me, fell by the wayside. And that is subjective. Because I know a lot of people actually tear this down as like, you wanted to do something special for someone, so then you just made a generic indie movie and like, people are critical of it. And, And I don't know. Thank you all for listening to us. Go check out the Music City Drive-In Podcast Network where you find some other talented people, including uh, Matt Fox, Ricky Valero, and uh, yeah, I'm uh, Eric. Oh, I'm, I'm Curtis. You can follow me uh, at uh, on uh, Twitter at 90sGamer407. I also stream on Twitch under the handle of Merrick underscore Tainment, where I do video game streams every Tuesday and Thursday from 11.30pm to 2am, and I do an anime watch party every Friday during the same time. And uh, you can follow me at HighContrastFLM on Twitter, and I please recommend that you do, because from there you can find a link to my letterbox, and you can see when I post links to our YouTube channel, which we're really struggling getting going. Um, I need to post more consistently on that. I know that. But honestly, if anyone's listening, if you will go and look up my Twitter handle and then look for when we have posted high contrast videos, that's the only way you'll currently be able to find our channel. If we can build to enough followers, we can put out a lot more fun stuff. So thank you all.